<laughs> I get that. You never know what goodies Yoli brings. All right. Well, we are going to pick up where we left off as we've been in this introductory phase of this new series called In His Image, looking at what that truly means. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creepy thing and beast of the earth each according to his kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth according to his kind cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good and then God said let us make man in our own image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and I know I keep hitting on the same stuff to introduce this but I want to make sure you get it Number one is that we see there's a distinction between the creation. On day four, he creates one way. On day five, he creates another way. And then on day six, he makes the guy in charge of all that stuff. And so when we say the meaning of the word in, created in our image, isn't so much about how we look, but it's the role. It could be said like this, let us create mankind to be our image. Let us create mankind as our image. The word in in Hebrew is the word Beth, and it simply refers not just to like what you look like, although that may be a part of it, but a positioning. And so as I've laid this out here, when you say to put the dishes in the sink, it tells you the location. When you say I broke the dish in pieces, it tells you the result of said plate in said sink, right? If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Is if I say I wrote the letter in pencil, it tells you what the instrument is. And if I say I work in medicine, accounting, education, it means I work as something. It's a role or the function. And that is what God said. Create them in our image. Create them as our imager. Representative on the earth. Man was created with a function and a purpose. And it wasn't to play video games. It wasn't to scroll Facebook. But God had a plan. And that is where we are going. If you look at verse 28 in Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, or God blessed him, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So just answer this. Was there anything living that was not underneath the domain of man? No. In fact, Adam had a role. He was supposed to spread the garden. As I told you, the Garden of Eden was not the entire world. It wasn't anything like that. It was a garden planted eastward inside of Eden. Then he took man and put him there. And we see him fall. And we see somehow that dominion was being transferred. In Genesis chapter 5, we see a similar thing that says in verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed him, called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And so what we see here is that Adam, too, created a representative of the family. No matter what Seth did, he was still the son of Adam. And there are strings attached to that. And so as we push forward in here and we look at these things going forth, we have to keep that in mind. 
God's original plan was for man to rule on this earth. It was God's family. Eden was the domain of God, where God and the angels and everybody met. And as I said in Genesis 3, I do not think it was a talking snake that lost its legs. I believe that that is a representative, a name, a type of Lucifer. It was himself there. He would have seen Lucifer and all the other created beings walking through the garden. And I went through a whole reason of why I believe that. I'm not going to rehash that. But at the point of the fall, it seems as if authority had been passed from Adam to Satan. Adam was allowed as his immature to act on behalf of God. There were rules he had to obey. He did not do that. Now, there is no passage that clearly claims that, but there are hints of it everywhere. And so look at John chapter 12, verse 27. It says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. You see, at some point, and we assume it was in Genesis 3, that Satan became the dominion, the one who holds dominion over the earth. Now, you can make that argument pretty easily just from looking at the world around us. It's pretty screwed up. It has been. Like, we talk about how bad it is now. It's not as bad as it's been. Could be worse. It's not great, but it could be worse. So this is one example of that. And then we've got to understand why Jesus came. We'll look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, what did it say in verse 15? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Guess what? That means representative there as well. It's not what God looks like. We have no idea exactly what Jesus looked like. He was probably a pretty ugly guy. There was nothing about him that drew people to him. It wasn't his charisma. It was who he was. He was a representative of God. Now think about that. Man in God's image broke God's laws, transferring authority over to the enemy. Jesus in God's uh, image has to come as a man and then he's wrongfully put to death because death had no hold on him because the wages of sin is death and he committed no sin. And through that death, through his resurrection, he defeats death. Death no longer controls mankind. Why is that? Because if you're a believer and you're in him, who cares? To live is Christ, to die is gain. But what he has done, he's restored man to himself and reinstates his authority. Now we can come to him. Now we should be walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Now we are not, but we should be. So think about it like this. God's original plan was that he would have mankind grow and dominate the earth, have dominion over it, represented him in every aspect of what was happening. Man falls, that dominion hands over. Then he does something unique. He goes and he creates for himself and takes as his portion the nation of Israel. 
He separates them all at the Tower of Babel. Then he immediately calls Abraham. That from Abraham comes forth the nation of Israel, ultimately. And as they leave Egypt, he lists a bunch of rules. And he says, you guys need to follow these. But what was he doing in that? He was making that nation unique from all others. One unique function of that is they had no king. God was their king. They followed God. God went before them everywhere they went, and they were able to conquer everywhere that they went while they were in obedience. But once they weren't obedient, then God's promise was judgment, and judgment came. But that nation was a representative of God. When it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain, that means don't represent Him and then go live like this. Because who you're representing is not God. No different than today. So if we understand what Jesus came, He came to restore mankind to His rightful place in the family of God and in His rightful authority here on earth. Now, that will not come into completion until the new heavens and new earth. But for right now, is there anything that the enemy can do to you? Yes, if you allow it. That's it. You see Adam and Eve both standing there listening to Lucifer tell them about, is, did God really say that? They could have said no. He couldn't force them. He couldn't overtake them. They had to allow him. They had to succumb to him. So how do we watch out for those types of things? We have to know the truth. It comes from the Word of God. So this is all well and good, but what do we do with this information? Now what? Well, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. It's crucial to understand something of what has been happening and what is going on and understanding what God's plan was and what Jesus was doing here on this earth. So let's start in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1. First thing we need to understand, who wrote it? It was Paul. Who did he write it to? Ephesus. Not complicated, right? Nice and easy. There we go. It says, therefore, verse 15, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Stop for a moment. Okay. The exceeding greatness of his power toward whom? All who believe. Yes? That's who the power is for. Because you are no, you're not just a person that just now lives a moral life. You went from death to life. You are created now in His image. And so the working of His mighty power that He worked through Christ, raising Him from the dead, and then He seats Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the seat of authority. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come so what is above Jesus's authority there's not a thing no thing is above that I don't care what it is I don't care what you're facing it can be cancer it can be anything else there's nothing named in this life or the one to come that is above the authority of Jesus y'all with me so far good so stay with that keep that in mind every name that is named 
Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now understand this. What is the church? It's his body. Okay? He's up here. His body is with him, seated with him. He's not decapitated. He's not a floating head sitting up there. The head leads down to the body. If the head has authority, what does the body have? authority the body does what the head tells it to do you've never done anything in your life that your brain did not first tell your body to do even your brain now is telling you to breathe think about that we don't think about it but it happens right if you go to the cupboard and you reach for the cheetos your brain which is wisdom knows what it's doing and your body's like Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, you got to get this. Like, the head tells everything that we do. So, you've never had, and maybe you've had children that do this, where they hit the other one and like, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, you meant to. It wasn't involuntary. Okay? You meant to. So, we have the head and the body, which is the church. Stay with me. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So, who are the you here? Those who believed in him right? That's all we're talking to. We're talking to believers. We're not talking to unbelievers. We're talking to believers. Those believers that are now alive were dead in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other so at one point or another we all walked according to what the prince of the power of the air the course of this world the spirit who's now working in the sons of disobedience that is an authority aspect but now it has changed we are no longer by nature children of wrath now we are by nature children of god it has changed so therefore our actions change it's not just talking about moral things. It's talking about obedience things. Doing things God's way. We have a carnality problem in the church today. Not just from a moral aspect, which is a problem, but we like to do things on our own. But God has a way for everything. If we simply follow it, we will see success in it. So what we have here are things that are named. Are they above or beneath Jesus' authority? They're beneath. All of them. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So where are we raised up to? Where are we sitting? Together in the heavenly places in Christ. It's all about in Christ. Once you are in the body, you are now in Christ, you are seated up there. Does that mean you're walking in it, that you understand it, that you're doing it? No. But we have to begin to define our terms. We're talking about the church. Well, where does the word church come from? What does it mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia. It means an assembly or called out ones. An assembly or called out ones. So when we say we go to church, what we really mean is we're going to where the church meets. That's really what it means. Because the church is his body. Is that not clear in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2? So far, it's pretty, pretty abundantly clear. 
So we have to understand what the church is. It is the called out ones who have now received Christ and are His body. With me so far? Let's go to verse 11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ now Gentile uncircumcision circumcision what are we talking about here remember what was happening God took for himself a nation his family the nation of Israel he had a set of covenants and with that came the fact that they had to be circumcised so if you were circumcised in covenantal fashion then you were inside of the covenant of God if you were uncircumcised that meant you were a Gentile and you were just everybody else so you had Israel and then everybody else when it says Gentile it means somebody else not Israelite so you once Gentiles in the flesh not talking about your spirit, in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision. So we have a Jew and Gentile thing going on here because we're getting to what the church is. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance and, and so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So now what has changed? The separation. You no longer have an Israelite who is circumcised by hand that is now the people of God. That wall has been separated. Everybody who is in Christ is now a part of the family of God. Don't discount Israel. Proper Israel still has a place in God's plan. An Israelite doesn't stop becoming an Israelite because they get saved. They are still a Jew. But in Christ, we are one body. That is crucial to understand. Through Him, we both have access by one Spirit. What is that one Spirit? The Holy Spirit. We have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So not physically, but He's talking about our bodies being the temple. Now let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power so what is he talking about this idea of the two people groups coming together to make the body of Christ of which we call the church was a mystery 
The Jews didn't expect it. We clearly see that in Acts 10 when Peter is told to go to the Gentiles and he doesn't want to go. He has this vision and then he gets there and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and he's shocked. And those who were with him were shocked because that's not how this is supposed to work. But call no thing unclean that I have called clean. So now we're seeing like this confusion aspect, this mystery about what the church is. Now look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace is given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now that's interesting. Let's pause there for a moment. Think about what he just said here. Let's read this again. I want you to catch this. Because we read too fast sometimes. To me, referring to Paul, who am less than, uh, than the least of all the saints, which he goes on and on because he was persecuting the church, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, the things coming together, fellowship, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. So this has never been revealed until this point. Who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now, watch, the manifold wisdom of God. Now what is he referring to? This idea of the church. Might be made known by the church to whom? Principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do you think that's odd? Why would he use the church to make known this mystery to the principalities in power in the heavenly places? Because that's his body. His body has authority over all of that. According, verse 11, to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask you to do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. Why do we have boldness? There's nothing named that is above the head of the church. Nothing. That's why we have boldness. And because of this faith, we have access to God. You guys see this? It's so crucial we get this. Understanding what it means to be his imager. Now he goes on, look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what reason? All the things he just said about the church and the authority. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now that's interesting. The whole family, that means angelic beings. That means created beings on earth. They're all named in heaven. They're aimed by Christ, which refers to what? Well, I said when Adam names something, what does that refer to? An authority. So we have an authority through him, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that there were verses that came before verse 20? Because we quote this all the time. To him who was able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. That's all we quote. But look what he's talking about. This authority. According to the power that works in us. What power? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Should the church be defeated? Absolutely not. It chooses to. The church was exposed three years ago. It was exposed. So what the church is, is the body of believers made of Jew and Gentiles, baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. This is the family of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, we see this, verse 13. It says, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. You see, the body of Christ united together, walking in fullness of the Holy Spirit, knowing who it is, can do incredible things on this earth. Think about this authority. Do you realize that authority and power are not the same thing? Because if a cop goes out and stands on the highway, and a semi's coming at him, and he puts his hand up, he does not have the power to stop it. But he does have the authority. Because if that cop has to jump out of the way, that trucker is not going to have a good day. There's a difference between authority and power. We have authority. It's his power. You with me? Now, we see the idea of the church, and we always say the church starts in Acts chapter 2. And it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And when then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, how many of them were filled? All of them. Now, were they not filled before? Yes, they were. Remember, at the end of John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them said, receive the Holy Spirit. So we're now talking about the infilling, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The equipping of the body of Christ to do the work. They had the authority, now He's empowered them. Do you see the difference? Look at verse 5, and then there were dwelling uh, in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, What could this mean? And others said, Well, they're drunk. They didn't know they were trying to figure it out. But Peter, verse 14, 
standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now think about it. Did Joel know what the church was? No. It was a mystery. It was only revealed after this point. He had no idea, but look what he prophesied. And it shall come to pass in the last days. That means that the moment that that happened, the last days were inaugurated. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon and the blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that last part still true? Absolutely. Does that mean the first part of that prophecy is still true? Does that mean that he still will pour out his spirit on all flesh in those days? As many as will seek him, he'll pour out his spirit on them. Why? Because he did not create a body that was weak and flailing. He created man in his image to rule and reign from the beginning. And he is reinstituting that authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens if the church wakes up and realizes what it has in it? Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. Now think about that. What did Jesus do? He was the image of the invisible God. How was he attested? By God through miracles, wonders, and signs that God did through him. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why was it not possible? He was wrongfully executed. There was no sin in his life. God raised him up. See, God had to use man to reinstitute authority and take it back. God could have snapped his fingers, blown the earth up, started all over. We may not be here, but we certainly wouldn't know anything about it. But God sets up rules. It was no different than a compassionate God. Why did he judge Israel? Why did he send them into captivity? Because he said he was going to. And they disobeyed. And that's exactly what happened. And a loving God will follow through on what his promises are. And just like that, he set things up and handed it to man. And he said, here you go. Be my imager dominate the earth, expand the garden, they handed over authority. So a man gave it, a man had to take it back. A man who was full of the Holy Spirit took it back. It's at this point that man is once again equipped with authority as God's imager on earth to do what? We go back to what the original plan was. Look at verse 28 of Genesis 1. Then God blessed him and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, man's dominion. It doesn't mean that you go out there and stand out there in the middle of the field and say, Dear, come, let me shoot you. That's not what it's talking about. Although that would be spectacular. I don't know, it might take, make hunting boring. I don't know. He's talking about man over what? You see, this earth is temporary. It doesn't matter how good we get it. It's going to end. 
He's going to recreate it. So even if we get the entire world saved and we live in this commune and we sing Kumbaya and we roast s'mores every night and we all just come together in love, it's still going to burn. Doesn't matter. What are we ruling over? The principalities, the powers, the dominion. They don't have anything on us except what we hand them. That's the problem. Look at Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you love how this is called the great suggestion? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We love this. What we don't love is the first part. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We want somebody else to do that. We don't want to do that. We want the signs. We have become sign chasers. The moment we become God chasers, the signs will follow the signs are not what we're looking for. God is what we're looking for. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Him, not His signs, not His benefits. Seek Him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Is there anything else? Did He leave anything out? Go therefore and make disciples. Now stop for a minute. He said that all authority has been given to me. And then he says, because of that, go and make disciples. Walking as his body in his authorities of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is there anything named that is above Jesus' authority? No. Are we created as the express image of God? Yes, we are. Are we His body? Yes, we are. Are we His hands? Yes, we are. Are we His feet? Yes, we are. Should we walk in the fullness of the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, we should. Are we? No, we're not. Because we are carnal Christians. We are too concerned about the things of this world. We get too worked up. Prayer is our last resort. It is time for God's body to act like His body. His body has gone rogue. And it is doing whatever it wants. And it is weak. Imagine that. The body of Christ, pathetic, weak, trembling, afraid, bowing its knees to the things of this world. The things that it's already defeated. And then asking its permission, is it okay if we gather together? Forget about that noise. It's time. It's time. Nothing made. It's nothing made. There's no situation. There's no sickness. There's nothing that is above the name of Jesus. It's time to rise up. It's time to rise up. So here's my challenge for you this week. Keep that at the forefront of your mind. Think about that. How can I, as the body of Christ, do God's work this week? How can I be intentional of walking in the presence and fullness of the Spirit of God this week? Keep it simple. You may be at the grocery store and see somebody sick and you may go pray for them. Walk in that authority. But it's time that we start acting like it.
Let me tell you a quick story. I met with an FCA director here. We went over to Auburn to have breakfast one morning. We're sitting there and we're getting to know the waitress. And um, understand when I tell you stories, in no way am I trying to brag. I'm just sharing things that have happened. You don't hear all the stories. You hear some of the ones, okay? But as I was sitting there and we were talking and she was very friendly and it wasn't super busy and we've been there for, you know, hour, hour and a half already. We were, we were just chit-chatting and uh, we get together pretty regularly. And so when she was going, she brought the little thing that you pay and all of that. And I went to do the tip and, you know, they got the, the 15 and stuff. And I always top the highest button, whatever the highest button is. And it was 25%. So I tapped the 25%. And she said, she's like, oh, no, you want to put $100 in there. I said, okay. And I deleted it out. I put $100 in there. And she's like, I was just kidding. I'm like, I know, but the Bible says you ask not, you have not. So there you go. And she was blown away. And she comes up after me. She's like, are you guys Christians? And I said, yeah. And she's like, I, uh, I've got a problem. I'm going blind in my right eye. I said, do you mind if we pray for you right here and now? And she said, absolutely. So we did right there in the middle of the restaurant and prayed for her. And I haven't talked to her since, and I may see her again. I may not. She may quit that job. She may have made that 100 bucks. Says, I'm out. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gone. I don't know. But what I'm telling you is never waste an opportunity. What's $100 to the kingdom of God? It's an expensive breakfast. Those hash browns were good, though. So you know. But be led by the Spirit. You never know what goofball thing happens that you are missing because we're too prideful, we're too carnal, and we got too many things to do. Let's start to walk in that authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that we are full of the Holy Spirit. We are full of power. And I thank you that we will be aware of your presence at all times. You're leading, you're directing, you're guiding. And that every aspect of our life is to bring glory to your name. And so, Lord, we give you glory. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you that you are moving amongst us, Lord. And I thank you that your body will rise up and get in shape and to do what it's supposed to do and walk in its authority and its power, Lord. And I thank you for that. That your name will be glorified to the ends of the earth, Lord. And I thank you that right here at home that we will start to be intentional of reaching the lost, to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. We will start here in Missouri. We will start here in Nebraska. We will start here in Iowa, Lord. And we will make disciples of our neighbors, our friends, our family members, Lord. We will be intentional about prayer. We'll be intentional about studying your word, Lord, and knowing who you are. And we will be intentional of reaching the lost. And we'll be intentional of laying hands on the sick. And I thank you that you give your servants all boldness by reaching out your hands to heal Lord that we will stand up and shout your name from the rooftop that you will be glorified Father we thank you for all that you've done and continue to do and I thank you that we are led by your spirit it's in Jesus mighty name Amen God bless you guys have a great week don't forget the uh, shower next weekend so we'll see you there nacho it up and no pressure Neil but Bar said hi man